If you would open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 10. We're going to look again this evening at these, the second of these greatest commands. But let me ask you a couple of questions as we prepare to come into the Word. Who are your neighbors? I encourage you, if you are taking notes, just think of three to five neighbors and write their names down or their initials, just for you. I'm not going to ask you to share them with anybody, but who are your neighbors? And how do you feel about those neighbors? And what do you know about those neighbors? What are their interests? What are their passions, their desires? Where will they spend eternity? This morning, we considered loving God. What Jesus said is the first and greatest commandment. And after teaching us to love God, Jesus went on and said there was a second great commandment. As Matthew records it this way, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And as I said this morning, if I could sum up in a sentence what I hope from you as a congregation in being your pastor, it would be that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and that you would love your neighbor as yourself. What should be your interest in your neighbor? You must love your neighbor as yourself. And let's hear from our Lord himself. We have this interaction in which not Jesus in, in Luke's gospel gives the answer, but Jesus uh, commends him and then goes on to teach about loving our neighbor, what it means. So I'm going to read beginning in verse um, 25 through the end uh, of, the, of the account in verse 37. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on by the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Having heard from God in his word, please join me in your hearts as we seek him in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we do come to your word, and we know that it is true and pure. And we want to be purified by it. And we ask that you would instruct us by your word and your spirit, that we would know about these two great commandments, and that by your spirit we would more and more obey you in these commandments. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, like this morning, you are commanded to love your neighbor. It's not an optional extra. It's not, you know, I, I, if you knew my neighbors, you, you'd know that why I didn't really want to love them. Um, Jesus said it's like the greatest commandment. It's similar to it. It carries a similar duty. It's not the most important commandment. The most important commandment is what we looked at this morning, that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your strength and your mind. But the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's very important. And again, as people have talked about and looked at how, does, how do these two commands fit in with the Ten Commands that God has given us in the Old Testament as a summary of his moral law, and I think it's fairly commonly agreed, though perhaps, as I mentioned this morning, a, a slight debate over where Command 5 fits in. Is that, is that especially loving God as we love those in authority over us, recognizing his authority, or is it loving our neighbor, those God has put in authority over us, particularly your father and your mother? But for the sake of continuation of this morning, I think it's reasonable to say that it summarizes Commands 5 through 10 of the Ten Commandments. Honor your mother and father. Do you show honor to your parents, not just for your kids, but even if you're grown, if your parents are still living, and even if they're not, how do you honor them? How do you love them in showing honor to them? And how about others in positions of authority? Maybe your boss at work or others. How do you love them by honoring? Do not murder. I, I, I would guess, although I don't know your darkest secrets that none of us in this room have committed the act of murder. And we might be inclined to say, I'm okay on that one, but remember what Jesus said. If you speak to your brother and say, you fool, you're in danger of the fire of hell. If you hate your brother in your heart, hard words. Do you love enough to not get angry enough that if you weren't constrained by grace or law, you would murder. Don't commit adultery. Do you honor your marriage vows? Those of you who are married, and for all of you, do you, do you honor the marriage vows and the marriage relationships of others? And again, I mentioned this morning that the misuse of the name of God is so prevalent in our culture, and the misuse of marriage is, is also so prevalent in our culture. And we must stand against that. We must, we must demonstrate a love for our neighbor, including other people and their marriages, as we seek to obey God's command to love our neighbor. And don't steal. Do you steal from others? Do you borrow without repaying? In, in our first pastorate, uh, friends of ours who were, who were connected to the congregation, they weren't members and and they ended up being involved in a different church. But we're good friends of ours, homeschooled like we did, and similar age of children. And the, the church that they were attending, the pastor preached on do not steal. And um, the, the woman got convicted, and, and she went to work the next day. And she, she gave her boss one of the engraved pens that the company had put out. And she said, I, I took this home, and, and I shouldn't have. It's not mine. It's yours. And he looked at it, and he said, well, actually, this isn't ours. This says... Christian Fellowship Church. <laughs> so maybe she had stole it from the church. Maybe the church wanted her to have it. But do you take things that maybe aren't yours, you just take a little bit of advantage of it? Do you steal in subtle ways of your, from your neighbor? Do not give false testimony. Are you committed to total honesty? Are you committed to integrity in the way that you speak about others? 
even at personal cost. And do not covet. How's that loving your neighbor? Well, it's, if you want what they have, you're not loving them. You should be delighted that they have what they have. You should be glad for the things that God has given them. But do you instead want them? Do you want things that others have for yourself? These are some of the ways in which obeying this command to love our neighbor is a summary of obeying the Ten Commandments. You are commanded to love your neighbor. And you can't love your neighbor without loving God. You can't love your neighbor without loving God. Oh, to a degree, to a measure, sometimes even the unbelievers will put us to shame in their love for others. But for consistent, ongoing, heartfelt, God-directed love, you cannot love your neighbor without loving God. And notice that I didn't say, as some who, who deal with this text say, you can't love your neighbor unless you love yourself. See, that's not what Jesus said. He said you already love yourself. And the way that you love yourself is the way that you are commanded to love your neighbor. Self-love exists. And we have it for ourselves. And it's not by itself condemned unless it's overdone. But the way that we love ourselves is the way that we're to love others. The world pursues self-love. And if you pursue self-love, you will often be led to hatred, hatred of yourself and hatred of God and hatred of your neighbor. But if you pursue loving God, you will be led to love yourself and to love others and to love God. Jesus said, the first and greatest is that you love God. And without loving God, you have no basis for loving your neighbor. And without loving God, you have no ultimate ability to love your neighbor. But if you're in Christ, you have the ability, you have the desire. His love compels you to love others. You can't love your neighbor without loving God. And you can't love God without loving your neighbor. We read these words this morning in 1 John. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. If anyone says, I love God and yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For the person who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And that should at times challenge you and me. It should challenge us. Am I acting in a way that is inconsistent with my claim? Am I not practicing love toward my brother at the same time claiming that I love God? God says it's impossible to love him unless you also love your neighbor. But maybe you have the same question that this man who was speaking with Jesus had. Well, who is my neighbor? Now we're told why he asked that question. He wanted to justify himself. But I don't think asking the question is necessarily a self-justifying action. I think we can legitimately ask God, who is my neighbor? I want to obey this command, and so I need to understand who it is that you're telling me to love. And I think I could give you a longer list. I've put three in the, in the bulletin or in, in the notes, three that you might think about as your neighbor. The person in the seat next to you at church, that's your neighbor. 
or the seat in front of you or the seat behind you. We heard this morning the covenant of communicant membership from three of us. And we've covenanted together to be neighbors. And some of us might be close enough that we're physically neighbors, and others we might be far enough away that we're not physically neighbors. But as you look around this room, you're looking at neighbors, people that God commands you to love. But also it's the person next door or in the next office. God put you in certain places to have neighbors. And I'll talk about that in a minute. And then it's the person that you meet while walking down the street. Strong's Concordance, which isn't always a, the most thorough definition, place to get definitions, but I think it's often a good place to, to at least get a start. They define a neighbor this way. Any other person, irrespective of race or religion, with whom we live or whom we chance to meet. And, and we Calvinists, when we hear the word chance, we get a little nervous. <laughs> You know, there is no such thing. And yet we had it in our text. I don't know if you noticed that. man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among thieves and robbers who stripped him, beat him, departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. I thought there wasn't chance. Well, there isn't chance. God controls everything. And yet we don't control everything. And sometimes things happen to us that are unexpected. And I think that's what's intended by that. Word. If, if you don't like the word that Strong's uses by chance, let me suggest this definition. Any other person, irrespective of race or religion, with whom we live or with whom God has given us contact. Because that's our recognition, that things that seem happenstance, that seem to happen by chance, are really controlled by the authority of God, by the will of God, by the intent of God. God's plan for his people in the Old Testament was that they would be in the center of the trade routes so that as people journeyed, they would come through the land of Israel and they would see and hear about this God. In fact, they would see how the people lived and they would say, no other nation has a God so great as this nation does. They would see their obedience, their love for God, and they would be compelled to consider it. But for one who happened to be passing through, it would seem like chance. And for this man who was beaten and left half dead, it seemed by chance. The priest went by, and the Levite went by, and the Samaritan went by. But God controls those chances. Have you thought about why you live where you live? I've been encouraged for a long time and challenged by Acts 17, 26 and 27. As Paul is speaking to uh, on, on Mars Hill, he says, From one man, God has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. He did this so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. God put you and your physical neighbors where you live and he gave you your appointed times and your boundaries so that some might seek out and find God. Some of them are going to seek out and find God through your neighborliness to them. As you love your neighbor and as you live a life of Christ of a Christian in front of them, it may be that they will, as they see that, 
want that and reach out and find God. God put you where he put you in order for you to have the neighbors that you have. So maybe revise your first list of three to five neighbors. Maybe add to it some who you want to think about, how do I love these? The command is easy. It's straightforward. It's simple. The act is not always as straightforward and simple. Loving your neighbor will take time and effort and sacrifice. Loving your neighbor will take time and effort and sacrifice. Why didn't the priest and the Levite stop? They both saw him. The Levite looked at him, but they didn't stop. And we don't know for sure why they didn't stop. We do know that they weren't being neighborly. That was the point of Jesus' instruction. But we can speculate, I think not unreasonably, that there was something that they didn't like. Maybe it was just the fact that this man was half dead and bloody and beaten and they didn't want to be bothered. But how did they view him? How do we view our neighbors? How do you view each other in the church? Maybe sometimes people who have different opinions than you do. How do you, view, how do you view your neighbors? Perhaps that live a life that's completely inconsistent with the life that you are by faith trying to live in Christ. I think there are at least three wrong ways that we can view our neighbors, especially our unbelieving neighbors. We can look at them with disgust. And, and maybe that was some of what was going on in the priest and the Levite. This probably was a disgusting situation. It was a disgusting mess, and they just didn't want to be bothered by it. And sometimes we look at the sin of our neighbors, the sin of unbelievers, and it, it is disgusting. And we don't want to get dirty, but sometimes we should get dirty. We should get other people's mess on us. But sometimes we might look at our neighbors and think, well, they're okay. You know, I'm okay, you're okay. I mean, isn't that what we're taught to think about everybody? But they're not okay. And I think sometimes we don't think carefully enough about our unbelieving neighbors about where their destiny is. Where are they headed? What's in store for them? If we understand the grace of the gospel, how much more do we want to see those around us respond to the gospel of grace? Or maybe we look at them with envy. We see that in the Psalms. We see that in other places. I looked at the, envy, I looked at the, unbel, at the unrighteous and I was envious, the psalmist says. But instead, we should view our neighbors with love. How can I love them? I, I don't want to get... I don't want their sin to corrupt me. And we do have to be cautious as we interact with unbelievers. We do have to be careful that we don't let their sin influence us. As our kids were young and we were talking about friends that, that they might have, particularly friends that might not be Christians, one of the things that I often stress to them is you, you can be their friend as long as they don't begin influencing you to sin. So we can be friends and neighbors with unbelievers. As we see them, and as we see them in need, sometimes we have to stop. And we have to see if we can meet their need. Why didn't the priest and Levite stop? We, we don't know for sure. 
But why did the third traveler stop when the first two, who were, who were religious leaders, didn't? Well, you know why. He was one of those good Samaritans. But why did he stop? He saw this man just like the priest and the Levite did. But he took pity. He had compassion. That's often a mark of our Savior himself. He saw the multitudes and he had compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. The Samaritan saw this man in his weakness, in his, his bloody state, and he took compassion. And he took the time. He was traveling just like the priest and the Levite. He, he hadn't said, I'm going to walk down this road and see if there's somebody that I can meet and if I can, if I can minister to them, if I can take care of them. He was heading down that road to do something else. We don't know what he was doing, but, but the next day he went on to do it. But he was willing to stop, and he was willing to take time, and he was willing to take effort. He was willing to take his own funds and meet the needs as best that he could, and then he got further help. He used his own animal, used his own money. When was the last time you spent money on your neighbor to love them? When was the last time you passed by on the other side of the road? It snowed this morning. Maybe you knew that. We got home, and I didn't want to drive up our little short driveway and pack the snow down to ice, so I left Nancy in the warm car, parked on the curb, and I went in and got the shovel and shoveled the driveway. And then we went in and had lunch, and then I went out and shoveled the back driveway so that we could get our car out this evening. And I thought, I should shovel my neighbor's driveway. I, I, we haven't met her yet, but I've met her son-in-law, and so I'm expecting, he's about my age, so I'm expecting that she's elderly. And I thought, I should, I should shovel her walk. And it was always shoveled. <laughs> so I don't know if she did it or the neighbor on the other side did it, but I at least had the thought of loving my neighbor in that way. And I love snow, so it's not much of an effort for me to shovel somebody else's walk. But I missed that opportunity. But we need to see needs. We need to find out needs. And we need to determine how best to meet needs, and that can be difficult. Sometimes how to love is the hardest thing. What's the best way to love? In this, this particular person, in this particular situation, it's not always straightforward. And there often may be differences of opinion on what is the best way to love in this circumstance. And we might not always get it right. But is, is, is love what motivates us? Is the love of Christ what compels us to do or act in a certain way? Churches struggle with mercy needs. How do you meet people's needs uh, that have a need? And, and perhaps you have the opportunity to help. You, do you help meet that need? Or do you realize that sometimes helping hurts, as, as some have well put? And so it's not always straightforward. Nancy shared a bit this morning about our time in Australia. We went for two years and we stayed for 10. And, uh, and one of the things that, that challenged me during those last eight years especially was how do I best love my wife in this circumstance? And, and it seemed to me that the two options were, do I love my wife by taking her back to the U.S. where she really wants to be? Or do I love my wife by helping her thrive in a situation where I think God wants us to be 
and yet she doesn't particularly want to be. And that's what I tried to do, and she can tell you of how badly I did at it. But it wasn't just, well, I don't care that you want to go back to the U.S. I think this is where God wants us, and I think God wants you to thrive here. And, and let me try to love you by helping you do that. And again, I, I might have gotten it wrong. Her father wrote me a letter. She said he probably only wrote a handful of letters in his life. He said, will you bring my daughter and our grandkids home? And I didn't. He was with the Lord before we moved back to the U.S. But I carried that letter in my Bible because I wanted to be reminded of his desire so that I wouldn't neglect thinking about how do I love my father-in-law? How do I love my wife in this particular situation? Why do I give that illustration? Just to point out that sometimes how you love your neighbor is not always easy to figure out. And we're not always going to agree on what the best way is to love each other. But again, is love your motive? Is love your aim? Are you willing to change and give of your time and your effort and sacrifice in a different way if needed so that you can love your neighbor. And if you're going to love your neighbor, how much contact are you having with your neighbors? How much time are you spending with your neighbors at church in the seats in front of you or behind you or beside you? Now, if they're right next to you, it's probably your family member, so hopefully you're spending time with them. But you're going to hear from me I've already been told that I repeat myself um, and, and just get used to it because I do. But you're going to hear from me a plea to spend time together, to be neighbors to each other, even if you have to drive across town, because loving your neighbor is going to take time. So how much time do you spend with your neighbors and how much contact do you have with your neighbors in your neighborhood? And at the risk of... <laughs> Well, of being transparent, we haven't yet, except for the one son-in-law, met our neighbors. And you can ask me over the next few weeks and months, how many neighbors have you met? How are you doing at beginning to love your neighbors? And I share that because I know that I need to do it. I mean, we've been busy. There's all kinds of reasons I could give you. We haven't, we haven't shunned any of our neighbors, but it's going to take effort. We, we may have to go knock on their door. We may have to Look for them out in the yard and make a point to go walk over and talk to them. So you can ask us, how are we doing with contact with our neighbors? How are you doing with contact with your neighbors? If you ask me, I might ask you, and that's okay. Um, it's, it's not a competition. But we can encourage and help each other in that. We encourage you to prepare for God to plan contact for you. Prepare for God to put people in your path that he wants you to be neighborly too. And then as he does that, be ready and willing to follow up. And typically, it's going to take more time. And typically, when you spend more time, you will begin to develop more love. You're commanded to love your neighbor. You can't love your neighbor without loving God, and you can't love God without loving your neighbor. If you say that you do, you're lying. You've got to think about who your neighbors are, and you've got to be ready to spend the effort to love them.
Here again, Jesus' words. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. And so in Christ, I call upon you to go and do likewise. Pray with me that God will make it so. Father, help us to love our neighbors. Our neighbors here in the church building, in the church body, our neighbors in our neighborhood or at work. And I know that many of these people are already working at loving their neighbors. We hear it in their prayer requests. We hear it in their contact and their conversations. But Lord, help us grow in this, the second greatest commandment. And might we be known as a congregation of people who love God and love our neighbor. Might we go and show mercy as you give us opportunity to show mercy. Might we check that our motives are love. Even if we differ on the best course of action, might we be motivated by love. Cause us to go and do likewise, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.